This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knots podcast. We are done being lowly anticipated, and we're back to being highly anticipated because we have these season preview packages rolling out, which means that we are bringing on some A++++ guests, and with Andrew Bailey gone, it's just me, Dan Favalli, coming at you, but I'm pleased to be joined with NBA Maths. Michael Brock, who is also the sports editor for Easterner Sports, and he's going to help us sift through, labor through, whatever we want to call it. We're going to try and dissect the Portland Trailblazers and figure out what's going on with them ahead of next season. So how are you doing, Michael? I'm good. Uh... The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Uh, very excited to be here. Excited to talk about some uh, Blazers basketball. Hopefully, um, maybe temper some expectations of some Blazer fans out there, but we'll see how it goes. I 
what are the expectations supposed to be of this team, though? And if they're they won forty one games last year, they're playing in a deeper Western Conference this year. You can't look at their roster and say they've gotten appreciably better. You could argue that they got worse because of the Allen Crab trade, and we we kind of touched on that a little bit before we hopped on. It's just. Uh, there, I'll probably say this about every single team I do, but the Blazers are fascinating just because of where they were last season compared to where they are now um, and who they kind of need to hit to make all things work out. So I, I guess the place to start would be the Allen Crab trade. Um, what did you think of that? Good for the Blazers. I know they saved a lot of money. Was it bad? Do you think it's going to hurt their offense at all? Do you see any ramifications whatsoever of not having Allen Crab on this docket? Um, like we were talking about just before we started recording, um, they do de- definitely save a lot of money um, in the trade. Uh, they traded Alan Crabb for uh, Andrew Nicholson, and as Woj reported, he was going to be waived and stretched over seven seasons. Um, Two point eight, yeah, that's crazy. Two point eight million over the next seven, I believe, um, which I don't believe has happened yet. So they might be trying to package that for another deal but if it goes down as it's supposed to um they'll save roughly 15 million um and then i believe like 40 something 44 um in luxury bill which is insane but on the court um they lose one of their most viable um three-point options off the court or um, off the ball of Dame and uh, CJ, which is uh, even more important now that they have Nurkic uh, manning the middle um, with the spacing he provides. Um, but as far as defensively, um, Crab definitely had an off year. Um, he was kind of supposed to be. 3 and D guy off the bench, which never really materialized. Um, so I, they lose a little bit of three-point shooting, which I think they can make up elsewhere. Um, what were your views on the on the trade? I I like Alan Crabb, and I was I, I was fine with his deal when they matched it from the Nets. It obviously does not look good now, and you were right; he was not that great defensively it seems like he kind of plateaued but he was just so valuable as a spot-up shooter um and at, at least i guess another type of defensive option because if the assumption is going to be that they're always just going to generate enough offense because damian lillard and cj mccollum are there that that's fine because they are that good on the offensive end but where are your switchy defenders really you have alfaruk amanu maurice harkless can do it and then I guess Evan Turner too. It just seems like you kind of run out of these more versatile options. And he, at least if you look at this roster um, and let's say with crab on it though, you would probably say he was their second best bet at getting a two way player with Mo- Maurice Harkless being the first. I don't know that you can bank on Aminu having some type of offensive resurgence. Like it looked like he kind of did with his first year in Portland. It's not even a resurgence. He basically reinvented himself by being, uh, which seemed like efficient enough. Uh, it's just, it's such a bizarre situation. I get why they did it because they have all 
this money committed to the team. And when you have looking at some of these contracts, Evan Turner's got three years and 56 million uh, left. Myers Leonard has three years and $31.8 million left. Uh, it, it gets taxing and you don't want to pay the luxury tax for a team that won 41 games last year. And there's no guarantee they're going to win any more this year. Uh, the, the Nurkic stuff, and that's probably why I would assume Blazers fans would be so optimistic about this team. It was just such a small sample size. I, I get it. Like He played really well. They were so good uh, with him on the floor. They were annihilating teams per 100 possessions when he was in the game. But we're working with like a 20-game sample size. I just don't know how you can hope that that's going to be enough to spur something that's a lot better because you may need to be a lot better to get into the playoffs next year. And then you combine that with the front court logjam they've furthered. It was there, and now they just furthered it over the summer by drafting Caleb Swan again and, and, and getting um, Zach Collins. It's just, I, I don't know, they're, they're just a very weird team to me. And if, if there's a concern I have, it's that if you lose Crab. If, should you drop off offensively even slightly? It's a big problem because you haven't retained or acquired defensive personnel to kind of balance yourself out on that side of the floor. Yeah, and just to go off of uh, one thing you said about the front court log jam, what did you think of the um, packaging 15 and 20 to move up for Zach Collins? I, when they moved up, I was kind of thinking they might go after – Donovan Mitchell, maybe get a third guard. Um, he can play. He's a two-way player. Um, he can knock down a three. He can drive. He can um, create for others. Um, I just don't see. I understand the appeal of Collins. Um, he's more of a shot blocker than uh, way much more of a shot blocker than Myers Leonard. Um, he can also stretch the floor. Um, but as far as paying Myers Leonard. 10 million a year for the next three to be your third center. I just don't understand it. No, you have to, it doesn't make any sense. And you have to find minutes for Ed Davis in there. I would think you can go back to playing him at the four if you want, but the Blazers also seem to have some sort of weird, odd, quirky devotion to Noah Vonley. Caleb Swanigan was one of the surprises in summer league. Like, what is that rotation going to look like? And all of a sudden, if, if you want to incorporate even half of those, let's say all or half of those guys, Al Farouk Aminu is going to lose minutes at the four and be forced to play the three. Mo Harkless isn't going to get small ball four minutes. Evan Turner is going to end up being like a full-time shooting guard off the bench or whatever it is. And all oh, those no. guys deserve to get front court minutes as well. And, and that's why it's more puzzling than I think uh, we might have initially realized. So... I, and what you said about Donovan Mitchell would have been interesting. I had no, I don't think anyone did, obviously, but no one had any, I had no idea how, how good he was before entering summer league. And the Blazers, they could really use that additional shot creator off the bench. Maybe they thought it was going to be Evan Turner, and that's kind of the logic that came into play for me when I was defending the deal that they gave him, um, was that he can come off the bench and lead the second unit, and then they can use him on ball with Damian Lillard and CJ running off it when they're all on the floor together. I don't necessarily think they implemented the latter enough. Um, and when you take Evan Turner off the ball, he's not really going to be a threat. And you can just see uh, his the percent of looks he got at the rim last year inside three feet just 
took a nosedive from his last year uh, in Boston. So if you get that third shot creator, you, you don't have to worry about staggering CJ's and Damian Lillard's minutes as effectively because the Blazers were fine with both of them on the floor last year, but when you pull one of them off the court, they were a net negative each time when they were trying to play solo. So that would have been a very interesting pick just to go out and get that third shot creator, that third facilitator, that third ball handler, that third score. And maybe it's, again, who they thought they had in Evan Turner. And it's most definitely why they have to be so intrigued by possibly acquiring Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I agree. I don't think uh, many people knew Mitchell was going to be this good. Um, but it would have been would have been the pick to um, acquire him. And as far as the mellow talk, um, he would definitely shore up a lot of their um, three-point doubts out of outside of uh, Lillard and McCollum. Um, he kind of part of the deal. The reason for trading Crab was kind of consolidating uh, the wing depth a little bit. Um, so it would kind of depend on who went out on the mellow deal. Um, but a lot of their wing players are one-dimensional. Um, Harkless and uh, Harkless, like you were saying, is probably the best bet to be uh, two-way. Turner and Aminu um, are primarily defensive players at this point. Um, but adding Mello would just add that offensive punch um, they kind of need, and it would definitely add another dimension to their offense, um, playing inside out a little bit more with uh, players a very focused on Lillard and McCollum at this point. Uh, the thing to even keep in mind with their offense is that where where they could regress is w- what happens if they're not hitting as many tough shots? Like, if you look, they were the second-best team uh, when shooting in terms of efficiency. They were the second-best team in the league on contested three-pointers. Uh, very tight, classified by NBA.com with a defender – within two feet and then you move to two to four feet and they were the best team knocking down 36.3 percent of their shots when the defender was in that range that's not a performance that you i think anyway that you can assume is just going to hold it's not like 50 percent of their shots are coming this way and i know you have cj mccollum and damian lillard who are some of the best tough shot makers in the game but that's where crab or at least the idea of crab was sort of a safety net because I know his shooting percentages weren't actually that good when CJ McCollum and Lillard were on the court with him, but to kind of have that additional spot up shooter just to open things up and maybe make it so you don't uh, have to create such high quality looks or, or enables you to create high quality looks and you don't have to lean on these tough shots as a crutch. Um, and maybe that's reading too much into Crab's value to them. Uh, I understand, like you said, there's value in consolidating uh, the wing depth, but I just don't know what their most versatile lineups look like right now. Uh, and the chances are they probably are going to have Dame, CJ, Moharkless, and Al Farouk Aminu in them at once. Those four guys are going to make up your most versatile lineup. And then whoever you put at the five, whether it's Nurkic, whether it's Ed Davis, are you going to throw Noah Vonley there? Are you going to throw Zach Collins there, Myers Leonard? You're still left with all these extra front court bodies. And I think that's going to limit then your ability to field what will probably end up being not only your most versatile, but your best lineups overall. 
Yeah, I agree with uh, everything you just said. And another interesting aspect with the their love with No Vonley and also moving that crab deal is um, both Vonley and Nurkic will be restricted next season. Um, so freeing up that cap space is rather important, but it's definitely going to be interesting where they view Vonley or if they view Vonley in their future. Who do you think – so? There's no way they can view. If they think it's going to be Nurkic and maybe you use the season to decide, maybe you hope Zach Collins is even a little bit better um, just because Nurkic had that injury toward the end of last season. Who is who is the player that this team is going to move? It, independent of these Carmelo Anthony trade rumors, let's fast forward to February. Who do you think is most likely to not be on the roster of these kind of trade candidates? Um, ideally... <laughs> it, they, <laughs> I know I guess, where this is going. Ideally, they would try to move Leonard first. Um, oh, I was actually thought you were going to say Turner. ideally Evan Turner first, which would have been well, ideally Turner. But I just don't see. Well, can we can we actually spend that. a second on that? What is so we saw what it cost to get Timothy Mozgov off the Lakers books. The Blazers probably got a little bit lucky with the Allen Crab deal because the Nets really wanted him last year. And they kind of had that cheaper bad contract to Nicholson to send out, so they were able to broker it without giving up a first round pick. What in the hell are you supposed to attach to Evan Turner to get a team to take him? And he could probably, and th- the other thing is, he could probably end up being a very productive player in the right situation. I st- those two seasons we saw with him under Brad Stevens, th- he was a very good player, and I think you put him in the right situation, he'll be able to do that uh, again. Just looking at what's happened in Portland, though, what what type of pot sweeteners are you attaching to Evan Turner's contract? You, it has to be at least, I would say, one of the guys you drafted, and then another first round pick. Like it would have to be Collins and another first, right? At least, at least, and then I would probably say that uh, incoming team would either want Vonley, um, who's gonna, like I said, he's gonna be restricted after next season, or even Mo Harkless. He's only twenty four, and he's He's only got $10 million, uh per year for the next three, um, which for a wing in this uh, climate is pretty low, um, definitely compared to uh, Myers Leonard's $10 million. I would much rather have Harkless at this point, obviously. Um, oh, for sure. I think, I think you look at this roster and you can say that uh, independent of rookie scales, that Alfred Gamanu and, and Mo Harkless are the only players being paid at or below market value as opposed to over it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say um, they would have to include one of those three or the the team acquiring um, that bad contract would want to include one of those three to get it done. Yeah, and there's just there's not a lot of cap space out there, especially now, uh, and nor are there all these expiring contracts that teams are going to get ready to to trade i mean maybe the bulls if they enter super tank mode and they're ready to take on some compensation for turner and you have Dwayne wade's deal to kind of buttress negotiations but the the pickings are most definitely going to be slim i agree with you on myers leonard so maybe you could kind of expand on that It, it it has to be him right if you want to invest in Nurkic, and if you think that zach collins has a few if you think i guess it comes down to if you think two of swanigan Vonley, Nurkic, and Collins have a future with your team. Myers Leonard has to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially 
with the logjam, you can't play any small ball lineups, um, really. You can't play um, – well, you can, but you're just leaving players on the bench then. You can't play Harkless that much at the four um, or Turner at the four or um, even like Swanigan or Vonley at the five, Ed Davis, stuff like that. Um, it's just – they're just a very peculiar peculiar um, situation with their front court. There's going to be either talent or money not on the court at almost all times. That's crazy to think about. And it, and it probably won't even – it or not probably. It won't be as bad as it was last year when you had both Alan Crabb and Evan Turner coming off the bench. That had to be the highest – paid bench combination in NBA history. Like those guys were making what was it like $37 million between them last year and they're both coming off the bench. Yeah, that's less than ideal for sure. So what is I guess how do you make it if you're the you're the coach, you're you're Terry Stotts, you're Neil Shea, who what is your front court rotation? Like what what is it there's I guess you have to leave if we were going to split the front court into the three, four, and five slots. I You you kind of have to play Harkless and Amanu as full-time threes now, basically, right? Unless you're just going to, like you said, keep all these other guys on the pine um, for minutes that they should otherwise, in the case of Swanigan and Collins, be developing, or in the case of Leonard, they're getting paid all this money to not play a whole bunch. So what would you do... I should probably narrow it down even further. What would you do with that four-five rotation? Is who would be your first two guys at at each slot? Um, right now, I would say uh, they showed a commitment to starting Vonleh at the end of the season last year. Um, him and Nurkic actually played decently well together. Um, I don't know if it was just Vonleh finally kind of coming around after being in their system for like a season and a half or um but I would think that they're at least the beginning of the year start Vonley and Nurkic together um and then like you said Aminu's he's got to play he's got to play at the three they played him at the four a lot last year but he's he's good there too yeah and then I guess Swanigan and Oh shoot! They have a lot. <laughs> Looking at their list again, they I we talked about it for ten minutes, and you kind of forget there's a lot of guys on there. Ed Davis um, is listed as their fourth center right now, and I'd make a case uh, if you look at Roto World anyway. And I'd make a case that in in terms of immediate value that's going to be added, he's he should probably be their second center. I know you want to develop Zach Collins, maybe you want to get minutes as for Vonley at the five two, but it, it's just it's an embarrassment of embarrassing riches. Just because you have all this front court depth and it's not the right kind. Yeah, it's not like you just have a bunch of depth and it's any good, you know? Like, the farther you go down, it gets pretty depressing. But I would probably say Vonley and Nurkic in those first two slots. Um, I guess it depends how ready Swanigan is. Um, but like you were saying, I would probably put Ed Davis the backup center, um, figure out, maybe do a rotation of Swanigan and Collins at the 4-5. Um, kind of just depends how it goes. And then also, like we were talking about before, but that 
if that if we go with that rotation, then Leonard's your fourth center, and he's not to harp on it too much, but he's still getting thirty million. And that's and you don't want to, and move. I guess if you're them, you don't want to give up on him because you gave him that money for a reason. Maybe there's a chance where it kind of looked like for a beat in 2015, 2016, he was going to be not this incredible defender, but he'd be like a, an okay rim deterrent who could knock down threes at a high clip, and you don't necessarily want to give that up. And like you said, especially because you have so much money invested in him. And at the very least, the bare minimum, you want him on the court to possibly try and recoup his trade value, if that's even possible at this point. It's just strange if if they wanted to even think about believing in him, why did they draft two more big guys? Right. Um, so what I found interesting is a lot of Blazers fans seems like they were became bullish on Noah Vonley even more so because of that close of season stretch where individually I think he was good. And I just remember thinking that that stretch was being overrated. And I, I had looked it up before, and him and Nurkic were beasts when they were on the court. Uh, for the 20 games together. The Blazers destroyed. That was, again, it was a big part of that starting lineup, but they absolutely destroyed opponents on both sides of the ball. They were plus 13.1 uh, points per 100 possessions when those two split time on the court, and which is fantastic. But I I don't know that I see the value in perpetuating that front court much longer, if that makes any sense, just because, one, Noah Vonley looks like he should be this kind of stretchy guy who shoots a good amount of jumpers from beyond the arc, and it kind of seemed like the Blazers were making him shirk those shots toward the end of last year, where he's he's never attempted them in volume, but he didn't really attempt them at all to end the season. And then the second part of this for me is there's no way you're going to pay both of these guys. So so what what are you doing? You're Are you playing for now, really? Or are you trying to play for the big picture where you decide which of the two you're going to keep? What is like what is the end game? Because there's no way that this is your starting front court in 2018-2019. Yeah, they, I'm guessing their hope is that uh, Swanigan shows that he's either ready, probably not ready to move into that starting lineup after next season, but, you know, come off the bench and play decent minutes um and i just don't none of those guys on that list though seem like guys that could start next to Nurkic either um right i guess zach collins but he's i just don't envision him playing at the four right away and again it kind of comes back to is, is who who among these guys is going to be the most versatile defender probably going to be if we're not going to include Aminu in the four carousel it's probably going to be Swanigan right like he has the highest defense ceiling among this let's say six player group he has to be um but if he doesn't then I'm not sure where they go from there I would say do you think they might try to move on Lang if he starts you know he starts playing well and um kind of look ahead to not um, going through restricted free agency with him to see what his market is out there. Um, or maybe, you know, we're talking about the sweetener deal, maybe um, include him kind of on purpose. You know, teams want are going to want a sweetener, but 
um, just want to include him, possibly. I think they would, and they probably should, because that is power forward to actually the position where they have the most cushion would be the four or the five. It wasn't, the, it wasn't really the three well, where you get rid of crab. Like I, I get it. You have CJ at the two where crab also played. So you're going to eat up a line share of the minutes there. And you do have Harkless, but they have more cushion up front. I just don't know what kind of a sweetener Vonley is going to be viewed as when he's speeding toward restricted free agency. And let's say a team is willing, let, let's say Myers Leonard's contract is a sweet spot where it's three years and a little bit more than $10 million a year. I don't know what team is going to want to get two, so to speak, bigs, one of whom is already being paid, the other of whom is about to get paid in restricted free agency. That's just not the way the NBA is going. So it, it's almost goes, it almost goes back to your point from before that if he's going to be a sweetener, it's going to be this complementary additive where you're putting together this bigger deal to get rid of Leonard or an even bigger one than that to get rid of Turner. Or maybe he's a – you don't want to use the word throwing, but maybe he's just one of those flyers a team, one of the teams takes as part of the mellow deal. Another interesting thing with that mellow uh, deal is what if they're not acquiring mellow in the deal, but they are just part of the deal, um, maybe unloading someone or taking, you know, it's just, it, I guess it depends who is included in that deal, but um, could you see them being like, the supplementary team in the deal while not acquiring Mello? I don't, just because it seems like, per an earlier report in the offseason from Woj, that they don't want to be because they want Mello himself. But moving beyond that, I don't know what the incentive for them to join that kind of a blockbuster would be unless they're getting rid of Myers, Leonard, or Evan Turner. And that that's kind of the gymnastics involved with all these Mello trade rumors is you can't put together a three-team deal, for let alone a two-team deal. Screw that with the Rockets and the Knicks straight up. You can't even put together a three-team deal because if that third team is willing to take on Ryan Anderson, and I'm not saying the Blazers probably aren't that third team, but if there's a team oh, willing to take on know. Ryan Anderson, you have to probably find a fourth team to take on a contract that they don't want. So it's... Yeah, the, that's true. The complexity And then if you include the... Blazers in that, then you're getting up to way too many teams. So <laughs> right. So and again, if so, if you're including the Blazers, they're not even the third team. Virtually, they're probably the fourth team um, that would need to take back a less than savory deal. So that that theoretical third team was taking on Ryan Anderson, and the Blazers aren't going to take on salary. Uh, Mello would be interesting because even if it drums up their cap bill this year, he has an early termination option for. 2018-2019 worth $27.9 million. And I was talking about this with our colleague Adam Fermel, the editor-in-chief and founder of NBA Math. How long would it take Mello to recoup that $27.9 million on the open market? The, the easy answer would be to him finding kind of that Dwayne Wade deal from a team with cap space, but he's not going to just go to a random team with cap space. So the the tricky part about his situation is while you could hope or expect that maybe he would opt out, you have him for two years, most likely, just because it'll probably take him three to recoup that 27.9, unless he's willing to go the Dwayne Wade route, where you you know you're not going to a team necessarily that's going to make noise in whatever conference it's in or on a championship level. And even Wade, in that scenario, probably was able to talk himself into the Bulls doing something because they had... Ray John Rondo, they had Jimmy Butler. 
the East was absolutely awful and remains absolutely awful. So from Anthony's perspective, and I, I promise I have a point now, is that of course you don't want to go to Cleveland because LeBron James could leave, and it kind of increases the likelihood. Yes, there's an appeal to exploring free agency at the same time as him, Wade, and Chris Paul, but that $27.9 million, million, I believe, starts to mean a whole lot uh, with the way the, the cap climate has gone. So the Rockets make sense because you can stay there for those two years, knowing full well that CP3 plans on staying there, most likely. If you're going to open this up to other teams, let's say the Knicks don't blink, which would be the correct move, but it would be uncharacteristic of the Knicks to make the right move, <laughs> the Blazers make the most sense to me. Uh, they have some of these salaries that can get wonky that they could match. Maybe the Knicks are even willing to bring back Myers Leonard's deal because you know if, if you package Mo Harkless, Myers Leonard, a pick and a prospect, and maybe even Noah Vonleh as well, um, just attach it to that four or five player deal. That might be something that the Knicks do, and you're you're not necessarily saving money in the short term. You're not going to be, but because Melo's deal is shorter, either he's a free agent next summer if he decides he wants to go out into the open market with LeBron and friends, or he's going to come off in two years, in which case his deal was shorter than Myers, Leonard, Mo Harkless, and you're kind of able to gain flexibility a little bit sooner or, or additional flexibility a little bit sooner because you do have to wait for Evan Turner's deal to come off the books. That was a, similar to a point I was going to make. Um, I agree with everything you were saying. Um, so it's kind of a little bit similar to the um, Paul George trade if – they're able to move a couple of those bad contracts, um, similar to the Oladipo um, contract. He'll play through next season, and even if he does lock into 2018-19, um, those deals are shorter, or that deal is shorter than um, Turner's or Leonard's, depending on who they include. Um, and if he does lock in, that probably means that they were sixth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in the West um, where he doesn't want to um, take uh, advantage of his options elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely um, be trying to convince Melo to uh, waive his no-trade clause to Portland. I know that CJ and Dane have both been adamant um, we've recently saw a video of um, Hoodie, Mello, and CJ playing together, <laughs> which was pretty fun. Um, and also the social media, CJ um, photoshopping Blazers jersey on Mello earlier in the summer. God, but CJ just seems like such a good dude. Like, I, I don't know him personally. I've never even interviewed him, but he just seems like such a like down-to-earth, like humorous, like easygoing guy. He does. Uh, both of them. Dame, too. Um, Dame's definitely got a little more of a, edge. I wouldn't say a mean streak. Definitely, he's got an edge. That would, but it's like a, but it's, it's going it's from indeed. going from Lamarcus Aldridge to Damian Lillard's like night and day because he was, <laughs> Lamarcus Aldridge has like this, you know, you don't want to make fun of a guy's face, but he's wearing this perpetual like sourpuss, and <laughs> uh, you always hear stories about maybe he was unhappy, didn't like kind of sharing the spotlight, and some of those anecdotes have trickled over into San Antonio, how true they are. Maybe we'll never know, but Damian Lillard has been just such a positive force for, for Portland. And to hear him, like, even just the stuff he tweets, like, during those Twitter Q&As, like, I would rather try and build something in Portland and lose than go join up with a super team and win a title. 
that stuff is I don't have a problem with what Kevin Durant did, but stuff like that's also refreshing as a fan because while it may be a bit of an illusion and a bit of just this persona, you like to think that the players on your favorite team or who have only ever played for your favorite team are committed and as loyal and as emotionally invested in the franchise as you are. And 99 times out of 100, that's not going to be the case. But Damian Lillard kind of gives off the impression that he could be that 1% exception. I agree. I think they already have him locked up for the next four years, but I guess it's hard to project what's going to happen um, in the future. But I wouldn't be surprised if they are the backcourt um, for the foreseeable future in Portland, which kind of ties into... Um, something I wanted to bring up. Um, what is their ceiling if this is their backcourt for, you know, the next six, seven years? I'm going to counter with you with another question. What is the likelihood that their backcourt is ever able to defend adequately a pick and roll over that same span? I just don't. I they they are so flawed on the defensive end between the two of them and one of the things that gets me and I guess is kind of a quasi or backhanded compliment is there there are times where where these guys seem like they try so hard on the defensive end but they just don't necessarily get it and I don't know what it's going to take to build an above average a noticeably above average defense around them we can quibble about that 20 game stretch with Nurkic I, I, is he the difference? But like, I've never viewed him or watched him play and thought, man, that guy's going to be a really damn good defensive anchor. I don't necessarily know that he's the guy. I think you need probably two Harkless-type players, two Aminu-type players around them who can hit threes also. Uh, that's probably the player they were hoping Alan Crabb was going to be but didn't. And then you need a, a really good rim protector. And maybe that's who, who preferably can switch um, can defend in space. Maybe that's Nurkic. I, I, that, he's never really given me that impression in, in terms of his mobility on the defensive end. I, I Offensively, the ceiling with these two, to quote Michael Jordan, is through the roof. But <laughs> I don't know. There has, to be, there has to be a point where you look in the mirror and you say, okay, this is working offensively, but we don't have the right defensive guys in place, nor do we have the money to go out and get the right defensive guy. So unless they hit on uh, like, and not only just hit, but unless it turns out that one of these younger guys um, is going to be exponentially better than expected. I think that they're going to be faced with these decisions in the next one or two years, this time next summer or the summer after that, they're going to have to trade McCollum or Damian Lillard. And McCollum would be the one I think most likely to go just because of the way they view Lillard as the face of the franchise. I'm just curious to see how long they're going to wait before that becomes a real issue they consider. And maybe getting Carmelo Anthony kind of delays that, ensuring that it lasts almost two years if we assume he's going to opt in, just because the offensive ceiling on that team is is scary. You instantly have, uh, and I've said this for years, other people have said this for years, Carmelo Anthony's one of the best spot-up shooters in the game if he's willing to play off the ball. And you look at even last year, uh, that it was 80 plus players used at least 200 spot up touches and Anthony was sixth in point scored per possession. And one of the other six was CJ McCollum. So you put, um, or I think it was him, maybe it wasn't him, but you put him next to Damian Lillard, 
um, and you put him next to C.J. McCollum, that offense is going to hum, and it gives you something to watch for two years because we can assume that Melo will play at a high level if Olympics Melo Jr. is going to be his role. Uh, it wouldn't be, I guess, quite as easy as it would come in Houston maybe, or or perhaps it would because uh, these two guys are, I guess they're not on the younger side, but you compare it to Chris Paul offensively um, and some of the yo-yo stuff that C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard can do, That's they're going to be able to do that much longer than Chris Paul can at this point. So I, I do find that, I, don't, I guess that's a, me copping out to an answer to your question, but I think if they don't get mellow, if they don't get a marquee addition by the end of next season, I, I think that's when C.J. McCollum rumors are going to start to become real. And if not, I most certainly do think it will happen within the next two summers. Yeah, the mellow off the ball would definitely um, give them just another dimension. Um, I was looking at the uh, play types a little bit earlier, and Lillard, um, he runs the pick and roll like 43% of his plays. Um, And like you were saying, CJ and uh, Anthony would both be just elite on spot-ups. But here's another stat from NBA Math for you. via the total points added um, over the last two seasons for offensive points added amongst guards, Damian Lillard is fifth and CJ is 12th. Damn. And amongst uh, over the same span amongst guards for defensive points saved, CJ is the fourth worst and Damian Lillard is the fifth worst. Yeah. I mean, but the the one thing I'll say is um, that's going to wait. It's even really a defense, but that's going to weight defensive rebounding percentage a lot, and neither of them are particularly good defensive rebounding guards, uh, particularly CJ McCollum. Whether or not you know part of that's by design, but yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. And I think uh, if you're looking, if you have it, did they give? They were probably still a net plus because they give more offensively than they take defensively, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, it's just tough to have them both in the same backcourt, especially um, with. In this uh, point guard class, because um, a lot of times if you have a weak point guard, they'll um, just use uh, Steph and Clay as an example. Clay will take the stronger guard, but who, if you have even one strong offensive guard, like, who do you throw at him? You don't just close your eyes and pick Dame or CJ that night, like. And it, you can, stashing both of them is borderline impossible because now you don't now you don't really have the personnel to. First of all, stashing two people is basically impossible to begin with. But it, at least if you had a, a superfluous amount of wings, you could. You know, be like, well, we'll just put them on the two weakest assignments, and we'll have these other two. Let's say it's Harkless and Amanu switch everything. But the amount of time we're going to be able to play Harkless and Amanu together is now dwindled because you have all these front court bodies. Yeah, it's tough having your two worst defenders right at the point of attack. Um, and I guess Nurkic helps that a little bit if they get to the rim, but I just don't, I just don't see it. No, I don't. I don't think he he helps demonstratively, at least. And there's going to be a point where they fall back down to earth from those 20 games that we saw. Uh, 
and it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Is this the team that would possibly blow something up midseason? Again, I, I kind of I kind of doubt it. The, it seems like the extent of their moves next year will be limited to, you know, if someone's going to take Evan Turner off our hands, maybe we do it. Maybe they'll include a little bit to grease the wheels of a Myers-Lenders trade. Um, and again, maybe they'll go all in for Mello. And I... I, you know, that's okay. So that's that's a good, interesting question. As we kind of segue into their record outlook, does does Mellow make them noticeably better? If they were, let, let's say that's some version of the deal, is you're giving up a first round pick, Mo Harkless, Myers, Leonard, um, and one or two of your prospects. For me, I would say it's a slight upgrade um, in the regular season. Where he would really help you is. Um, those lulls when you're um, the pressure's on Lillard and McCollum um, and you just have another guy to throw the ball out to or even um, create for himself a little bit, I would say it would definitely help a lot more in the playoffs. Um, I would say right now, this is a little premature for the um, predictions, but I would say they're definitely not locked into a playoff spot. I would say with Melo, they would it would be a lot more secure um but he would definitely help them more in the playoffs they and does this concern you at all because it concerned me but i why you might need someone like Melo so much is that i don't know i i thought stotts did a very good job of staggering lillard and mccollum last year i think they played almost a thousand minutes without one another on the court uh, last time I checked, so like a third, I believe. Yeah, yeah, like that's a that's a nice balance. Like I think it was a thousand for McCollum, and then Lillard came closer to nine hundred just because he's on the floor more often in general. But the offense got worse when they were both kind of the solo acts, and and you look at when when Lillard was sort of the lone wolf, and the Blazers didn't even have a top ten offensive rating, and then you go to CJ, and they had closer to a bottom five offensive rating. Uh, that it, it, to me, it's a bigger red flag than even just the playoffs. Is that if you get mellow, he might really raise up your regular season ceiling because now all of a sudden you're at this point where not not only do you still have a guy who I think can go out and, and get you buckets. I'm not going to argue that Mello is still this top 25 guy because he's not. And to see some of the trade packages that Knicks fans get mad at on Twitter, it's it's just, like it's. Just look at what Paul George got. Uh, like, I know Melo has technically an extra year on his deal uh, because we know Paul George is going to opt out. But look at what the Pacers got for Paul George. Like, Car- Car- you're not getting a lot more. You're not going to get more than that for Carmelo Anthony. So, uh, th- I find that hysterical. But you might. It, it, that was a, that was one of the best points you made of the podcast. Me was that you almost need someone like Melo because that's the guy who guarantees you a playoff spot because he can still go out there and kind of anchor an offense by himself, or if he can't, now you've kind of reached a point where you're never going to have to spend minutes where C.J. McCollum is the guy tasked with running your offense by himself. And I'm not trying to take anything away from him necessarily. Damian Lillard's just inherently the better playmaker, so that's going to bend the way defenses approach him when he's on his own, where they're not going to do the same stuff for C.J. McCollum and if if you shorten that time where you only have one guy uh on the floor by himself at all 
to where you can just trade off these two-man packages of Melo and CJ or, or Melo and Dame, and then you will have those minutes where all three of them are on the court. That's huge for them because that is going to be their identity is on this offensive end is can this team really become a transcendent offensive team? They finished, it was 11th in point score per 100 possessions last year, which is fine, but it, it's not fine when your defense uh, isn't good by any stretch. And, and to kind of make that, you've traded away offense now in Allen Crabb, that move does not help your defense. It's not just, oh, we got rid of Crabb, so we're going to be 10 times better defensively. And maybe, again, they're just looking at this as that Nurkic turnaround um, meant something and meant something sustainable. I, I, I guess I don't really know, but I think you can make the case that Portland is the best fit for Carmelo Anthony outside of Houston. And I think that you can make an even stronger case that Portland needs Carmelo Anthony more than if you want to rattle off 10 trade suitors, let's say Melo didn't have a no trade clause, uh, or as I've grown to call it, the no thanks proviso. If, <laughs> if you want to rattle off those 10 teams, if you want to rattle off 15 teams, I, I think the Blazers have the biggest need for him of anyone that you could think of. Yeah, because envision next year them not making the playoffs and they have Nurkic restricted, Vonley restricted, still two more years of Turner and Harkless and Leonard. Um, like, what is their move? Do they just bring Nurkic back and possibly Vonley? And they can't possibly run it back. Like, they They may luck out, I guess, because look at, you know, Mason Plumley and Miles Plumley are going to have words at some point, right? Because Miles Plumley got $50 million last year in free agency, and Mason Plumley's what is he going to get? Like, what is his deal going to be? I, he's not, if he gets eight <laughs> figures at this point, I'd be legitimately shocked, especially after the Nuggets added Paul Millsap. So you didn't give up much to get him, uh, I guess, in retrospect. And if you look at the market for big men and with – I've, I don't know how many times I've cited this article now on the podcast, but it was a fantastic piece from ESPN.com's Tim McMahon and Bobby Marks. People around the league think that these free agents are going to get squeezed, and they might luck out because, yes, Nurkic is a quality big man, and you're going to have to pay to keep him, but it's kind of a Nerlens Noel situation where it's, yeah, you know what, we need you, but no one else does. That big offer isn't coming, especially because you're a restricted free agent, and who wants to tie up cap space in a big man, number one, and number two, in a big man uh, where we can just match. And now they've essentially allocated 48 hours worth of cap space for nothing. So they might look out there, but I, I think you're right in the sense that they can't run it back if they're in a situation where they miss the playoffs or if they get to the playoffs and they just get rolled again uh, in the first round. So, And I think at that point, you look yourself in the mirror and you have to say, are we willing to give up everything that it takes to get rid of Evan Turner and assuming he's still there, Myers Leonard, and maybe there's a path to adding uh, a semi-impact player after all is said and done. And if not, if you're not going to pay those picks, if you're not going to give up the younger players that it takes to do that, you have to stage sort of a miniature teardown. And and that again is when the CJ McCollum trade rumors seem like they would become real. And it's just such a weird situation because, um, Three, how, three or four years ago when um, LaMarcus went to the Spurs and they um, Wes Matthews left and they traded Batum, 
McCollum wasn't really supposed to, he was kind of supposed to be their sixth, seventh guy off the bench or, right. you know, second, first or second guy off the bench. Now, after that season, um, they just handed the reins to, you know, these two dynamic offensive players, but now they can't really guard anybody. So it's just a weird situation where um, CJ McCollum wasn't really in their plans to be their number two guy. And now he is. And it looks like their ceiling is a lot lower than they would hope. This is random. It's also higher than you would have projected. At least I would have when those players left because... Right. It's it was almost like a I'm trying to think of what would be a, an apt comparison for them, uh but to a lesser degree, but it's almost like they just stumbled in uh to this expedited rebuild. It's not it's clearly not Celtics level, but it's where you were watching Boston and you think they're gearing up uh for this long-scale reclamation project and then all of a sudden it's like, well, crap, we don't we don't need to do this. Is it almost almost like uh, when the Raptors traded Rudy Gay a little bit? Yeah, I would say it, you know, it's probably in between the Boston and Toronto on that scale just because uh, Toronto was supposed to be tanking, and when the Blazers had Damian Lillard, it was just a fact that they weren't going to be able to tank because he was too good. So I, I think that's right. that's perfect. It's somewhere in between there. So uh, since we spent so much time on Carmelo Anthony because that's – First of all, there wasn't a lot of changes to the Blazers roster, so what else are you going to focus on? Two, it's such a tantalizing prospect. Uh, but since we spent so much time on him, I think we need to give two different kind of record projections I'd like to get from you for this team. So let's just say this is the roster they're going into next season with. This is largely the roster they finish next season with. How many games are they going to win? And are it, will that be enough for them to make the playoffs? Um, just looking at, uh, Kevin Pelton's projections, I think he has them at like 43, 43.8 or something. Um, and right now that would be out of the playoffs. Um, I would probably put it right around there with the current roster. Um, it also kind of depends what amount of wins it's going to take to make the playoffs. Like a couple of years ago, it was 50 in the West, but now um, I feel like those teams might kind of take some wins away from each other, if that makes sense. Um, no, yeah, we talked about this, uh, Adam Spinell and I, on the Clippers podcast, is that the West is so hellacious that this probably isn't going to be one of those years where 50 wins makes the playoffs because all those teams, let's say, I don't know, five through 12 seeds, they're just going to steal a bunch of wins from each other. Right, so I would. It's weird to say, but I might just put them right at forty-one and forty-one again, and they'll probably be somewhere ninth-ish in the West um, with the current roster. Optimistically, with the current roster, I you would probably have them at like forty-five, forty-six, like in that sixth slot. Um, if this Nurkic um, really resurges the team as Blazers fans are hoping it does. And um, the Vonley-Nurkic front court is as dynamic as it kind of looked near the end of the season, and you get more out of um, Harkless and get a little bit more out of Turner than he's shown. Um, and if, where, you know what might be a big difference for this team is if they just think that 
Amanu is going to be kind of an average three-point shooter again. That would be that would be huge because he's so valuable defensively. They can't really take him off the floor, but he hit – what did he shoot his first thing? He was like 36% when he was in Portland from three. And if he can do that, if he can hit a league average, I think a league average was a little bit under 36% last year. If you do that, then this current roster – if he gives you that, excuse me, this current roster looks a hell of a lot better. Yeah, because out, outside of CJ and Dame, like we touched on a little bit before, they don't really have an outside option outside of Harkless. Right. Um, he's 35%, which as your third option is not ideal. So if you get around the same production out of Amino, that would be huge. And is I So I, I agree with everything you just said. If the Blazers finish 41-41, and 41, they've failed on a more macro level, right? Because it, they shouldn't let themselves get to this point where that's where they end up is 41 and 41 outside of the playoffs. If you look like you're going to be a sub 500 team or a dead on 500 team or slightly above 500 team, wouldn't the prudent thing then be to sell off something, someone mid season. And maybe that's when you can get a lot of value. Or I guess, you know, you look at the pieces and it's like, who are you really going to sell off? It's not, you're not going to make them a column trade midseason. That would shock me if you make it at all. Uh, so, but at the same time, it's if you see yourself going in that direction, don't you, shouldn't you kind of get out in front of, of stuff? And, and I mean more than just get rid of Noel Vonley, who you know is getting paid. Uh, you know, maybe you're talking about, do you start flipping guys into picks? Maybe you can get a pick for Harkless. Maybe you can use Al Farouk Amanu to get rid of Myers Leonard. There comes a point, I think, no, or you can tell me if I'm wrong, where you just have to swallow that pill because if you're not going to be measurably better than you were last season or at a point where it looks like you might be that much better than last season, you, you kind of have to go a different direction because of how crowded that Western Conference playoff seating is going to be after you know seed number four. And it's I, You look at last year's playoff picture, and I, I said this on the Clippers podcast, we kind of almost have to put the Nuggets and the Timberwolves, both of whom finished outside the playoffs, inside the postseason next year and that means at least two of those incumbent teams are going to fall out and that's assuming that the pelicans swing and miss with the cousins davis pairing which kind of started to work out toward the end of the year even though there's always a lot of noise in those end of season schedules so you might have to be 45 wins to get the seven seed maybe because you you don't want to be if, if you're on track for the eight seed do you want to be that if you're the blazers you were just there the warriors beat you is that something you want to go through again so wouldn't I guess my question would be this is just a long ass roundabout way of saying if it they're on track to not improve upon their record or if they're not if it becomes clear in your February that they're not going to contend for more than that eighth spot or a lottery berth you have to start wheeling and dealing to some extent no I agree uh, partially it's just it's such a weird situation uh, given the strength of the West because. Where can they really expect to be? And if they're not in that six or seven range, I don't see them being much higher. But if, like you're saying, if they're just fighting for that six, seven, eight, and they start moving, um, we're talking about how Dame and CJ are, um, they seem like loyal guys anyway. Do they, does there start being rumblings that they want out of Portland? Because they, they still have, after next year, they still have three more years each. Um, so that's just an interesting 
it's just an interesting situation as far as where does this team really, how good does this team really think they can be? And then if they're a little bit worse than that, what is their move? I would say they probably start moving um, some players for picks, like you were saying, but I just don't see CJ and Dame being super down for that. Well, I guess the other thing that you kind of alluded to, which I didn't really take into account, is that the the best thing that I guess could happen for them then would be that there will be distinct separation somehow as you get towards the bottom of the West because I'm saying if it looks like they're going to be on track for the eight seed, but it, it, is this going to be a situation where let's expand it from last year where it was seven, eight, and nine? It, it seemed like for the longest time that those teams could finish anywhere. And even the Thunder looked like they were going to be there for a bit, but they kind of pulled away into that six spot. So if you get to a point where six, seven, eight are so crunched together that you're looking at six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we'll say, or even number 11 as well, and you can see those five to six teams finishing anywhere within that radius, then it becomes harder to make those moves because you, again, there's there's not that separation for you to say, well, hey, we're not we're not going to get there. Yeah, that separation might not even happen until after the right, trade. That's, so so they, that, could think they could be in a shooter's chance for fifth, and then some crazy stuff happens down the stretch, and they're looking at a 10 seed. That's just the craziness of the back half of the West, I guess. So what would you peg them at with Mello? And I'm just going to use that baseline package that that we came up with. I don't even know if that package is floating around somewhere else. If someone else came up with it first, I'm not pretending to be the author of this, but Mo Harkless, Myers Leonard, a prospect or two and a pick. What do you think that does for them? Um, I just, even with Mello, I don't see them being um, pushing into that top tier of the West at all. I would say ideally they would be, probably fifth after the Warriors, uh, Rockets, Spurs, and Thunder. Um, even then, if the if Melo takes a little bit to implement or um, they're a little bit slow, there's that range is still just so crazy. They could end up, even with Melo, they could end up seventh or eighth, you know. Um, I would probably peg them at like around 48, and probably in like the six um, with Melo. Yeah, that, that seems fair, which is why that Melo trade needs to happen because I would like to see the Blazers in the playoffs just because Damian Lillard and C. McComb are so fun. And again, just the entertainment factor of adding Melo to that dynamic. So I, so I guess I agree. It definitely needs to happen as far as, cause we we're talking about six or seven. If he's there, if he's not there, we're talking anywhere from, seven to 10, I guess, 10 or 11. Right. So that, so that's the consensus, I guess, that we're both in agreement with. Um, if Melo's there, I think they get in to the playoffs. I don't know that I'm willing to put a seat on it, but I, I just think they get in. If he's not there, I'm going to, I would put their chances at 50, 50. It seems like just a coin toss because at, I believe at least two of those teams in the Nuggets and the Timberwolves are going to get into the playoffs next year, which means that you're, immediately looking towards the Jazz, Clippers, Grizzlies, and Blazers as potentially two of the teams that fall out. The Pelicans could probably win 50-plus games, or they could win 35 games. It's yeah, they're they're definitely going to be the team um, 
that most decides where the Blazers end up, I, I would think. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, um, so the last thing then would be, I guess, gut feeling. You can throw logic out the window if you want. Are the Blazers in the playoffs? Will they make the playoffs this season? It's just irrespective of what's going on with Melo or the rest of their roster. I think they shoot. I think they sneak into the eight. Um, it's just tough. There's, I think, out of last year's playoffs, the Grizzlies are definitely out. The Jazz potentially, um, but then that means the Nuggets and Wolves are in. Like you said, I just gut feeling. I think they um, they fight for that eight seed, but I would not be surprised if they end up anywhere from um, in that 7 to 11 range. Yeah, I would be there with you. I think they're ultimately going to get in unless they do something by their own hand to make sure that they don't, like a bunch of midseason trades. What actually might help them is the fact that they haven't had all this crazy roster turnovers. Yes, you lose Alan Crabb, but you still kind of have the, the crux of your roster intact, and you're looking at... The Jazz, who lost Gordon Hayward, the Clippers, who lost Chris Paul, the Grizzlies, who, yeah, you know, Zebo and Tony Allen, they're not these huge, and Vince Carter, maybe they're not these huge losses, but Vince Carter was their best wing last year. Uh, you don't know what's going on with Jermichael Green. And then the Pelicans, we you don't necessarily know how that Davis, Cousins, Drew Holiday, Ray John Rondo dynamic is going to play out. Then with the Timberwolves and the Nuggets, you know, they're welcoming in new additions. Those things take time. I'm happily, I will happily say I wasn't one of the people who foreordained the Timberwolves last year, but now I am. But what happens if Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson don't have their intended impact? What if they struggle to create enough spacing and the offense kind of lags a little bit? Or what if the defense just still isn't up to snuff? And then it's it's with the Nuggets. I, I would expect them more than anyone else to get in because uh, they played like a playoff team basically once they put Jokic into the starting lineup and now you're adding a perfect fit in Millsap. But with all those changes comes grace periods, learning curves, especially when you're dealing with a significant subtraction from your roster. And that probably helps the Blazers out where they're not dealing with that. So I, I do think that that'll be one of the deciding factors that has the biggest impact on getting them into the playoffs. I don't think, though, that it'll be higher than the seventh seed. Uh, mellow or not, I just don't see them getting higher than number seven. Yeah, the beginning of the season will definitely be important um with that grace period like if the blazers start hot like eight and two seven and three something like that in those teams um or if that Nurkic sample size just proves to be something that we can apply over the long term and they're all of a sudden just this 55 57 win team that would be that would be hysterical because there always seems to be one team that everyone is just way off on and if it's the blazers who i think most people outside of Portland have probably spent a great deal of time um, kind of crapping on. It, it would That would be, you know, that's fine. I'll take it. I'll eat crow. I'll like it. Well, it's also interesting um, because at the end of Nurkic's uh, Denver tenure, he was hardly playing, wasn't caring at all. Um, he was a little out of shape. That was probably partly why he got injured. But He wore that LaMarcus just... Aldridge face a lot, yeah. <laughs> But just going through a full um, training camp with the Blazers and actually caring, you know, knowing that you're going to be starting, knowing that you're um, going to have a major role. I mean, he put up 15 and 10 on, I believe, like 50% shooting. It was just in 20 games. But if 
it's just hard to know how much he'll care and how much he'll put in. But if he is committed to that, um, it could make a big difference. Um, it'd just be something definitely to monitor out West. Well, folks, there you have it. About 60 minutes plus worth of hedging from Michael Brock and I on these 2017-2018 Portland Trailblazers. If you want to talk to Michael or if you would like to call him M. Brock on Twitter, as I do, you can get at him. It's at Michael Brock underscore at the end. Um, if you want to talk to me, I'm at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. If you want to talk to Andy Bailey, who abandoned you, for this podcast he is at andrew d bailey spelled exactly like it sounds uh please follow nba math and if you're not already i don't really know what you're doing listening to this podcast but they are at or we are at nba underscore math you can also get at us at the hardwood knox twitter account at hardwood knox as usual when andy is away i will play by not giving a shout out to bina udre at the end so until next time The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR.